0: Do you know what? I didn't know this until recently. I didn't know what the word busking meant. It means playing music outside to garner tips or wages. So like, This isn't something that happens much in Gilbert, unless it does in downtown, I'm not sure. But in places like New York, Washington, D.C., urban areas, there's people who stand on the street corners and play music. Now, not long ago, Jimmy Fallon enlisted the uber-talented Irish band, U2, to busk in New York's 42nd Street subway station. Now, they did it in disguise. Um, they, had, they had wigs, and Bono was wearing this, I think it's blue, but I'm a little colorblind, blue hat. And at first, as they started playing, because they were disguised, people going on their normal commute were just walking by these music- musicians. Some of them would glance. Others would maybe linger just a moment longer. Still others just walked by without a second look. And so here's Bono singing with a guitar case open and like $9 inside. And people walked by because seemed, they seemed very ordinary. They seemed very ordinary because for the New Yorker, walking in the 42nd Street station, seeing busking is not something that is out of the ordinary. What was different was then, in a moment, Jimmy Fallon, he jumped up and he said, hey, this is you too. A concert broke out, phones were whipped out, people started dancing, people started singing, and it's all chronicled on YouTube, continuing to get hits. Um, But the part that stuck out to me was this. The ordinary was turned in a moment into something extraordinary. People did not look to see who was really playing, So many people just glanced and walked on. And so here we have one of the most famous bands in the world hiding in plain sight, seeming so very ordinary, and many people just streamed by. In our lives, the people in our lives, in all of our lives, every person in our lives may seem ordinary, but they are not. Every person we know will spend eternity either in heaven with God, or in hell apart from him. Everyone will spend eternity somewhere. Everyone, no matter who they are, will spend eternity somewhere. And if we just look at people and think, oh, they look okay on the outside. They don't need Jesus. We don't really see. And so today, we're going to be guided by Jesus to really see. We want to be guided by Jesus to to see what people really need. See, our church is called to be a place where we want to be a body representing the love of Christ to everyone. We want to be a place that loves God and loves others. We want to be a place that lives to worship God. We also want to be a place where there's always room for more. And if we don't have eyes like Jesus... We won't be able to see that there's a. Uh, there, that we won't be able to have eyes to look to welcome people in, and so what we're going to do is we're going to let Jesus inform our eyesight this morning. We're going to do that by looking at Matthew chapter nine verses thirty-five through thirty-eight, because if there's anyone to help us see, it's him. Matthew chapter nine, verse thirty-five through thirty-eight. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. God's Word says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When He saw the crowds, He had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then He said to His disciples, The harvest... It's plentiful. But the laborers, few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Before we think together about what that could mean, let's pray together. God, we open your word and we ask you to speak. We do this each week and we pray again that you would speak. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each of us this morning. Help the distractions and the noise and the trials and hardships and the dirt and the grime of the week, Lord. Help us to be able to set that aside and to be able to hear your voice. I pray that you would give me the gift of self-forgetfulness, Lord. I pray that I would just be able to be faithful. I pray, Lord, that you would... Open our eyes so that we might be able to see how you saw. Them. So we may be able to process people not by just what they appear to be, but by who they really are. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Seeing like Jesus. We're going to see what Jesus saw. We're going to hear what Jesus said. And then we're going to ask, how can we see like Jesus? First, what Jesus saw. Verses 35 and 36. Now, as you know, we've seen this throughout the book of Mark, anywhere Jesus went, people came. He traveled, when he traveled amongst the Galilean hamlets like he's doing here in Mar- Matthew chapter nine, the crowds were constantly crowding to him. Now, instead of being put off or irritated, Matthew reports that he responds with compassion. And that's quite a response. Can you imagine, you might not think about it, but can you imagine how difficult that is? People were relentless in their pursuit of him. They came wave upon wave upon wave after him, all wanting something from him. They wanted health or food or help or help for a child or blessing. Jesus always had people coming to him with their hands outstretched, asking for something. He was a public figure. I feel sorry for public figures because they are bombarded with people asking for things, trying to use them, trying to get something. Give me, help me, let me help you. But Jesus, now that would put me off, but Jesus is not put off. Jesus is not irritated. Jesus interacts with the masses in a way completely different and totally unexpected. You would have no idea that he doesn't have a moment to himself, a moment's rest, unless he retreats off into the hills to be able to pray, just to get some solace. That's not how, he doesn't, he, he, he sees the crowds, the people coming to him, look again, with compassion. You'll see where I got that in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Now, this compassion that he has is, in English, it doesn't come through as strong as, strong as it should in the original. It's not as if Jesus stood there and said, oh my goodness, I feel sorry for these poor people. Bless their hearts. No, it's something much more significant. Jesus, Jesus, he feels, he feels something. He feels compassion. His insides literally yearn. In other words, he sees people and his stomach is tied in knots of compassion for them. He has a physical response to the coming of all of these people. Why? Because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Literally, it says, the people were torn and thrown down. Here's the picture. People coming to Jesus, torn and thrown down in a world full of of places that are a threat, and negative, scratching and clawing at them. They had no rest. They had no protection. They had no help. They were being thrown about and torn at. Why? Because there was no one there to watch over them. Now, it might sound a bit demeaning to call this group of people sheep. Our culture doesn't think highly of sheep for good reason. When we use the word sheep, we're calling people in our culture mindless followers, right? I did a quick survey in my brain. Um, There are exactly zero professional sports teams that have a mascot of a lamb, No school is called the American Sheep Academy. Nobody goes to sheep training. No high school graduation speech ever calls graduates to go forth and be sheep. Why? Because sheep follow. Sheep get lost. Sheep are defenseless. But yet, if you read the pages of Scripture, Genesis All the way through Revelation, you find a recurring theme. People of God are called sheep. We recognize sheep. They're not strong or able. It's not flattering. But if we recognize who we are, really, we are defenseless against the powers of sin and death. A sheep has no claws and no fangs. It has no roar. If a predator comes to menace a flock the only protection the sheep has is to gather together with other sheep. They flock together. And you can imagine that's not so helpful because all the food goes to one spot. Sheep are also, defend, they're, they're also directionless. They're notoriously bad. They don't know where to go unless they're led. They can't even forage for their own food and water. And so without a shepherd, sheep die. Without a shepherd, sheep die. And so what Jesus sees here, he looks at the crowd and he sees their need. He recognizes that these people have no one to protect them. They have no one to feed them. He has These people have no one to provide spiritual nourishment for them. And without a shepherd, they are torn and thrown down. And this wasn't new. This wasn't something that Jesus was the first to notice. In fact, is... Ezekiel, years before, speaks a scathing prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. Because you see, here's the situation here in Israel. The the nation of Israel had spiritual leaders, but these spiritual leaders were taking advantage of the sheep. And it was said that the spiritual leaders who should have been watching over the sheep were in fact eating the sheep, killing the sheep, getting fat instead of taking care of the sheep. And Ezekiel spoke on behalf of God to Israel's leaders promising Jesus in Ezekiel 34. It's worth quoting at length. Ezekiel 34, verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to me, that's Ezekiel, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak ones, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they are scattered, because there was no shepherd. And they became food for the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over all the mountains and on every high hill. The sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. And I'll require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding The sheep, no longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. See, the shepherds of Israel are feeding on the sheep they should be protecting. So it's not just that these people were torn down and harassed and helpless because of the situations of life. They were that, but also they didn't have leaders to protect them. But look at the sweet promise of God in Ezekiel 34, verse verse, um, verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. There they shall lie down in good grazing land on rich pasture. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And so as Jesus stands here, in Matthew chapter 9, seeing these people as sheep without a shepherd, Jesus has come to find, to search his sheep out. That's why, he's, that's why he sees and he has compassion. He knows that the spiritual state of these people is without hope unless, he is con- unless, unless it's for him who has come to search and rescue his sheep. And you know what? We're just the same. We're just the same. We might not want to admit it. But we're sheep as well. Every one of us. We need the leading and guiding of Christ or we don't know where to go or what to do. We need Jesus to bind up our injuries. We need Jesus to bring us back when we stray. We need Jesus to strengthen us in our weakness. We need Jesus. Otherwise, if he hadn't come to seek us, When we were lost, we would not find him at all. And so what we need to recognize here is that we have a shepherd who has come personally to call us. Now, the means by which he rescues his sheep is surprising. First of all, what I want you to notice is that he saw these sheep with compassion. Now, I want you to see what he says. And recognize how surprising it is. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 9, verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, Jesus is literally... Fulfilling the prophecy of Ezekiel 34. And Jesus has said that he himself is going to be the one that searches out his sheep. And then all of a sudden we have this metaphor shift. We go from a talk about sheep to agriculture. And what he says he needs, what he says for us to pray for, is that he needs laborers. He needs workers. He's saying, pray that there would be a worldwide workforce of harvesters, Raised up to go out and share the gospel. Now, that's surprising. Because Jesus in Ezekiel chapter 34 says, I myself will rescue my sheep. And here he says, The means by which I will rescue sheep is by taking those who have been saved and already my property to send them out into the harvest field and labor amongst the harvest so that some might listen and be saved. Now, if I'm thinking of an inefficiency, if, if I think of what's efficient, that is wildly inefficient. Because I think, Jesus, if you're going to gather your people, it would be a thousand, a million times more effective if you just showed up all shiny and powerful with a voice like a mighty river and that white hair and a sword coming out of your mouth and stars in your right hand saying, come to me and the world would come to you but that's not how he commissions his people to be gathered he commissions the shepherd commissions his sheep to gather people we are commissioned it's not just the 12 commissioned here in the scriptures to gather we as well are commissioned to gather now at one level this gathering has been wildly successful because we sit here some 7,974 miles from the spot of ground that Jesus spoke these words. We are the uttermost parts of the world from, compared to what Jesus said. And we're 2,000 years removed. And every one of us in this room who's a believer and a follower in Jesus has been gathered by the testimony of someone else. where we sit that's where we sit and we also need to recognize that all of us are called to be laborers now many of us some of us in this room may be called to go to other cultures plant churches go to other places learn new languages cross cultures so that you can take the message of jesus christ with you wherever you go that is true there are some that are going to do that but many of us if not most of us we're going to stay here We're going to live here. We're going to live amongst the people that we already live amongst. We're going to go to work, the same place, Monday through Friday. We're going to go to school at the same kind of school that we've gone to for a long time. We're going to have recreation, go to soccer games. We're going to do those things amongst a people that are not following Jesus. And Jesus says, I want you to see the people that you're around with a different kind of eyes. I don't want you to look at them as mere ordinary people. I want you to recognize you're commissioned and you're called to labor amongst these people so that they might be able to see me. We, as Christians, are the means to which others can come to Jesus. And isn't it a little bit surprising as we read in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. If you hang around Christians a lot, you might think it's reversed. There's a lot of laborers, but there's not much out there. Not many people out there who want to follow Jesus. It's not true. Again, we can't just look. We need to see. We need to... Borrow Jesus' eyes to be able to see. And we need to pray that the Lord would raise up more laborers. One of the reasons this morning that we pray for, we do this every week, we pray for other churches both in our city and around the world. One of the reasons we do that is to remind ourselves that we're not alone. And also that that, that other churches, churches would be able to be effective in the harvest field that they serve in. There are vast stretches of places that have no followers of Jesus. And we want to pray that churches in those places are lights. And we want to pray that they send laborers out into the harvest field. We want to pray that there is a harvest of unbelievers coming to Jesus. I want you to see here, not only does Jesus have compassion, he's clear in what he asks us to do. He says he wants us to labor in the field. He wants us to be laborers harvesting a crop. Now, at that time, it would have been by hand with a sickle. So you can imagine yourself standing in a field, swinging a sickle back and forth and back and forth, back and forth. Or maybe you're the person that comes behind and picks up all of the, of the harvest. Whatever the case was, it's not easy. It's not easy. These are, we're called to be laborers in this harvest field not vacationers. This means that our job to represent Jesus and share the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to be difficult. and It's not going to be difficult because it's physically taxing. It's going to be difficult because we have to be patient and kind and have the same conversation 10, 20, 30, 40 times and not just press for decisions, but share Jesus and disciple. It's hard work. It's hard work. And this is not work that we're going to find very worthwhile if we don't see like Jesus. You see, if we see people around us as just ordinary people going about their day that don't need much at all from us, we're wrong. What we need to do is to be able to see people and recognize that every person, no matter who they are, in some way or another, needs is harassed and helpless if they're not following Jesus. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, that might sound stark. That might sound harsh. That might sound difficult. But I'm getting it right here from him in his words. And I'm certainly not saying that those are who are believers are world beaters and the best thing ever. But I am saying this. Jesus wants us to labor in his harvest field. It might take 137 conversations with the same person for them to understand what Jesus has done and who he is. That's hard. It might take gaining and losing friends. That's hard. But if we want to be a place where where there's always room for more, we're not just talking about seats. There's seats for people, yes. But what we're talking about is room in our hearts and our lives for people. And we're not going to make room in our hearts and our lives for people if we first don't see them like Jesus sees them. Jesus sees and says, they need me. And that's what we must do too. Every person we interact with. They're not ordinary. They will be one place, either with God forever or apart from him forever. That is far from ordinary. Every person that you interact with will be someplace eternally. That is time without end. We need to see like Jesus. We need to see and represent him. And that brings us to our third point, seeing like Jesus. Jesus sees his harvest. He sees. So how can we see like Jesus? I think we need to see, number one, past how things seem. We need to see past how things seem, especially in our culture. It used to be, to get to know somebody, you had to meet them and shake their hands. Now, you can stalk somebody online. And they post all kinds of things on Facebook, Instagram, other kind of social media outlooks. And if you measure, if you measure what they look like and decide, I don't know, and decide whether they, they seem happy or not, you might, you're going to come to the conclusion that they don't need anything. They're not harassed, and they're certainly not helpless because they've got a million followers. Tony Ranke, in his wonderful, helpful book, 12 Ways Your Smartphone Is Changing You, writes this. Meet Asina O'Neill, who, as a 19-year-old Australian model, accumulated 500,000 Instagram followers. She was once poised to make a career from online endorsement deals then in 2015, she called it quits, deleting most of her pictures and revising the remaining descriptions to unmask the true motives behind the images she posted, which were mostly product placements. Why the drastic move? She says Being born in a screen dominated age, we are taught to mold ourselves in order to gain the most social validation. And by that, she means likes and views and followers across social media, she said. I was living a paradox of conditional self-love and constant self-hate. Basically, my self-worth relied on social approval. The popularity made her feel, in her words, trapped in a cycle that became more empty, lonely, hateful, jealous, and insecure. But if you were to look at her pictures, that wouldn't be the story she told. See, if you measure people and their needs by how it seems on Facebook, you measure wrongly. You're just looking. You're not really seeing. People post perfect food with perfect families and perfect pets that have perfect clothes on in their perfect lives with their perfect smiles, and it doesn't seem like they need anything. Oh, but look, look again. Look to really see. Look to see because these people, if they do not know Jesus, there are, they, they may not be harassed and helpless in every way, but there are ways they are. It's just not obvious on social media. Have you ever had the thought, they look so happy? They're not lacking anything. Look again. Look again. You cannot judge how happy or successful someone's life is by what they share on social media. Here's what we know we are looking through Jesus' eyes now. People without Him are harassed and helpless. Miss O'Neill was harassed by the constant pressure to look just the right way and helpless to do anything about it. It is a grave mistake. To judge someone's happiness or openness to the gospel by how they appear on social media. Everyone needs Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. So, what are we to do? How are we to make sure we see people in a different way? How can we be a church, a people, each individually and corporately, where we there's always room for others? We need to see differently. We need to see in a different way. We need to So often I look at life through what's comfortable for me. One of the reasons it's difficult to see the plentiful harvest is because we don't see people with the compassion Jesus did. I don't see people with the compassion that Jesus did. So often it's so much more natural for me to be critical or judgmental, for me to think of people as an intrusion or an interruption. The people coming to Jesus on that day, they weren't they weren't, more, they weren't different from any of the kind of people that we interact with in our lives. They were annoying and vexing and irritating. They were insolent and inappropriate. They were mouthy and rude and sassy and demanding and bothersome. And yet, instead of running from them or considering them an intrusion or an interruption, he came to them and he had eyes of compassion for them. Do you look at others... In your life that aren't believers, with eyes of compassion. If you're a believer, part of the reason people are in your lives is so that you can show the compassion of Christ to them. For, a, for our church to be a place that sees others rightly, we need to see people the way that Jesus sees them. How does he see them? With compassion. With kindness, with tenderness. He sees people always welcoming any who would come to him. He sees people and says, He doesn't say things like, Well, you got what you deserved. He doesn't say things like, Well, it's about time. He looks at us and our mess. He looks at us in our confusion. He looks at us in all the ways that we fall short. He looks at us in all these things, and He has compassion. I'm grateful that my Savior has compassion for me. I'm grateful that He doesn't look at me, doesn't see me, in light of all my many sins. He sees me with eyes of compassion. And when we recognize that he sees us with eyes of compassion, and he doesn't call to mind. When, when he thinks of you, he does not call to mind that time you fudged the truth to make yourself look good. He doesn't call to mind the thoughts that you had when you were, pre, your thought, your, your thought life when you're preoccupied with lustful musings. He doesn't call to mind the smoldering anger toward those who wronged you. He doesn't call to mind the idle, foolish words. He doesn't call to mind your loud, boasting and secret cowardice. He doesn't call to mind our greed for more. What he does is he calls to mind his love for you and his compassion for you. And that's our call, too. It's one of the reasons that each week we think together in song, in prayer, and through preaching all of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Because from last Sunday to today, inestimable amounts of compassion from Jesus have flowed to us. When we remember that Jesus views us with compassion, it's easier to have compassion for other people. See, it's so important for us to see other people rightly. This matters. This matters. People might not have an obvious need, but they need Jesus. We need to see, how past, see past how things seem. We need to see with compassion. and We need to see the plentiful harvest. We live in a harvest field. We live amongst the people who need to hear the wonderful message of Jesus. We live amongst the people who need hope in him. We all have people in our lives. All of us who need to hear about Jesus. And it may be that you're one of the only, one of the one or two or maybe three Christians that they know. And you are a laborer in that harvest field. So here's our strategy. How can we be a place that always welcomes people? How can we live lives that welcomes everyone? We're going to be compassionate. We're going to welcome people as they are and introduce Jesus to them, no matter what. We're going to see past the way things appear into the way things really are. We're going to welcome and have compassion. Because every person we interact with, they're not ordinary or average. They will be someplace for eternity. Your workplace is not just the place that you earn a living. It's your harvest field. Your school is not just a place where you gain an education. It's your harvest field. Your child's soccer games are not just the place you cheer on her exploits. It's your harvest field. Your adult children are not just those that you fret and pray for. They are your harvest field. Don't fall into the trap of thinking everything because everything looks okay then everything is or that the people we interact with are only ordinary. CS Lewis famously put it this way in his book Gathered Into or a series of lectures gathered into a book called The Weight of Glory. He says, "It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses." He means once people go to be with Jesus and are changed, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities It is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. So can we see people like Jesus does with compassion? Jesus saw people. He didn't see problems. Jesus saw eternal souls. He didn't see momentary intrusions. Jesus saw people to help and not to use. Jesus saw a harvest and not a crowd. And may we see the same. And as we do, there will always be room for others. Let's pray. But I pray that you would help our church, each of us individually and all of us corporately, to live lives with eyes wide open out into this harvest field. Help us to see. Help us to see past the way things appear. and Help us to see the way things really are. Lord, anyone who doesn't know you needs you. And I pray that you would give us opportunities to work and labor in the fields that we're in to fruitful, fruitful ends. Lord, I pray for the plentiful harvest that you promised. Lord, I pray that we would see... People added to our midst. People baptized. People trusting in you. Lord, we know that this is your harvest. It is not our harvest. And you are the Lord of the harvest. We are mere laborers in your harvest. And I pray that we would be people, both individually and corporately, that are faithful to labor in your harvest. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to see Help us to see the possibilities with every interaction wherever we go. Help us to be men and women and boys and girls that live that are close to those far from you. And I pray that you would help our church always to be a place where there's always room for more. Because that's your heart. That's who you are. That's your disposition. And it's in your name we give thanks and it's in your name we pray. Amen.